Lord Jesus, we thank you today that your spirit is most certainly here, and I pray you'd help our pastor to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to us this morning. This is not just good news. This is the best news. This news is the best news. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow, what a lively crowd we have here today. We're so thankful that you're here. The first thing we're going to do here this morning before we ever even get started in the message, I want you to welcome you to the Easter celebration here at the Palace of Praise. This is a time of celebration. Can I have an amen? We're just, yes, give the Lord praise. We're just like the early church. We intentionally choose to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, which happened three days after his crucifixion on a Sunday morning. The early, the, the early church celebrated all the way back from the very beginning. So we choose to keep on that tradition of celebrating the risen lamb. One more time, would you lift your hands and give Jesus Christ a praise for who he is? Hallelujah. Thomas Jefferson, the author of the Declaration of Independence and the third president of the United States was what we call a deist. A deist is one who believed in the God revealed in nature. Congress once printed a special edition of Thomas Edison's Bible in which he had cut out all references to the supernatural. Jefferson confined himself solely to Christ's ethical teachings. The closing sobering words in Jefferson's Bibles are this. There, there they laid Jesus and rode a great stone to the mouth of the sepulcher and departed. Everything else after that was cut out and removed from his Bible. Thomas Jefferson apparently did not believe in the resurrection from the dead, unlike Benjamin Franklin, who also was a fellow deist. Franklin, the 15th child out of a family of 17 children, he was born in Boston, Massachusetts on January the 17th, 1706. And at the age of 84 years old, on April the 17th, 1790, Franklin died in Philadelphia. But before he died, he prepared something that he wanted engraved on his tombstone. And this is what he put. The body of Benjamin Franklin, printer lies here. Food for worms, but the work shall not be lost, for it will appear once more in a new and a more elegant edition, revised and corrected by its author. Franklin, unlike Jefferson, apparently believed in the bodily resurrection. There has always been people that have not believed in the resurrection, such as the Sadducees in the New Testament. In the New Testament, there are three religious sects. There was the Pharisees, there was the Sadducees, and there were the scribes. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection while the Sadducees did not. And even though the Pharisees had their own set of problems, yet the Sadducees had the biggest problem of all because they did not believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees were sad, you see, because they did not believe in the resurrection. And the Pharisees were fair, you see, because they did believe in the resurrection. That's what we teach our children's church. But the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the Christian hope. It is the foundation of our faith. It's the bedrock of our faith. And because it is the cornerstone of the gospel, it has been targeted by Satan's greatest attacks, trying to get the church to discredit it. Matter of fact, now in the 21st century, there are more that are not believing in the 
the resurrection from the dead than there was 40 years ago. If there is no resurrection, then the life-giving power of the gospel is eliminated. The deity of Jesus Christ is eliminated. Salvation from sin is eliminated. Eternal life is eliminated. A lady wrote into a question and answer form and said, Dear sirs, our preacher said on Easter that Jesus just fainted on the cross and that the disciples nursed him back to health. You think that's kind of ridiculous, but there is preaching like that in America. What do you think, she said sincerely, and she put bewildered. An old uneducated country preacher put this. Dear bewildered, go get your pastor, beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails with 39 heavy strokes, nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear in his side, place a crown of thorn upon his brow, pluck his beard, beat on him, spit on him, and mock him and throng him, put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours and see how he fares and said sincerely, Charles, I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt that Kent Miller in the palace of praise unequivocally stands here and tells you that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Can I have an amen? Oh, help me preach. Paul had to deal with people in his day just like the pastor of Bewildered, just like me as a pastor, I deal with it all the time. In verse 12 of our text, we see that there were some Corinthians uh, that were saying that there was no resurrection. Paul asked them in verse 12, now if Christ be preached uh, that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul is asking if Christ is preached out of scripture that he is risen from the dead, And if the word and the apostles are declaring his resurrection, then why are you saying that there is no resurrection? Paul is saying that you're mocking the very apostles and you're accusing them of being false witnesses and liars and you're even saying that the word of God is not true. Materialist or Darwinist, they believe in utter extinction. They believe in total annihilation. They actually believe that nothing human or physical or otherwise is going to survive after death. They hold to the belief that death ends it all. That when one dies, it's over. As a matter of fact, this is what separates Christianity from all other religions. There are some religions that teach reincarnation where the soul or the spirit is continually recycling from one form to another. You die, but you get recycled into a different form. They believe that it's even possible Possible for them to be recycled from human form to animal form and from animal form to human form. And this is why in some countries uh, that they, they don't eat cows because they think that might be my ancestor. There goes old cousin Josephine who's eating green grass and giving out milk. We can't eat her. I want to that's the kind of religion that is around the world. Another religion that teaches when one dies that they return to universal consciousness. But whether you believe like the materialist or what, like Darwin or in reincarnation or universal consciousness, they all take away from the existence of the personhood or the individuality of mankind. The individuality.
reality is forever lost in death in the eyes of these religions. Whatever, if anything survives, they say, is no longer a person, no longer an individual, no longer a unique being, no longer a personality. They think that when you die, it's just over. Therefore, this leaves no hope, no eternal life, no heaven, no Jesus, no God, no us, no you, no me, no you individual, individual, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. This is why that Paul said in verse 14, if Christ be not risen, then our preaching's in vain, and your faith is also in vain. Paul is saying if Christ has not risen from the dead, then, thou, then you have a dead gospel. There is no good news if Jesus has not come out of the tomb. If Christ has not risen from the dead, then Paul says you have an empty gospel, an empty and vain faith, and there is no hope. There's no hope. There's no deliverance from sin. There's no hope of eternal life. There's no hope of salvation. There's no hope of life after death. But let me tell something here today. There's only one thing that is empty, and it is a tomb over in Israel where they laid the body of Jesus. Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? It was Jesus that told John on the island of Patmos. I love this scripture in Revelations 1, verse 17 and 18. Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. If Christ did not live past the grave, then those who trust in him cannot hope to live either. Matter of fact, Paul said in verse 16 through 18 of our text, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, you're yet in your sins. Then they also, which are fallen asleep, or those that have died in Christ, have also perished. In other words, simply put, Paul is saying that if Christ is not risen from the dead, then those that trusted in Jesus, that died in your family, by faith they trusted in him, and they, they are also lost. Your, our future and our hope is also gone if Jesus has not risen from the dead. Without the resurrection, the good news becomes bad news. And there's nothing worth preaching. Without the resurrection, the gospel would be empty, hopeless. It would be an empty, hopeless message, a meaningless nonsense. Unless our Lord conquered sin and death, making a way for men to follow in that victory, then there is no gospel that is, that then the gospel has not been able to be able to be proclaimed. Just as no resurrection would make preaching Christ meaningless, it would also make faith in him worthless. A dead Savior cannot save. A dead Savior cannot give life, only a living one. And the truth of the matter is, Christ did raise from the dead. The eyewitness accounts that have been recorded, if they were stacked up, they would be a mile high. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said that he would raise from the dead in John chapter two, starting with verse 19. The Jews asking, what sign do you show us since you do these things? And what gives you the authority to do the things that you do? And they say, well, what things are you talking about? Well, he turned water into wine at, the, at Canaan of Galilee. He turned over the money changers in the temple and drove out them that 
so doves. He also sent and rebuked the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and sent them in their place. Not only that, he also he went around healing all the sick that was oppressed of the devil. He made blind eyes come open. He made the lame to walk. He, he exercised his muscle. And they say, but what authority are you doing all of this? And Jesus answers and tells them, I'll tell you in verse 19 and through verse 21, I'll give you a sign. Destroy this temple in three days. I'll raise it back up. Then said the Jews, 46 years it took this temple to be built. And if we tear it down, you're going to build it back in three days. But the Bible says in verse 21, but he spoke of the temple of his body. Jesus foretold of his resurrection in John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No man takes it from me. I have power to lay it down and I have power to give it up. I give it up freely, he's saying. Even Jesus prophesied and promised to his disciples in John 14, 18 and 19. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you again. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you'll see me and because I live, you shall live also. And Jesus did come back after the resurrection, spend 40 days and 40 nights with them. And it was there, old doubting Thomas got to become a believer again. Why? Because he got to see him and he said look Thomas feel my hands and he got to put his fingers in the holes of his hands and he got to put the fingers in the hole of his side and he bowed down and said Lord I want to tell you without a shadow of a doubt that we're living in the 21st century the gospel's not outdated the gospel's not something that needs to be revisited and changed the gospel is the gospel of good news that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and he lives forevermore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, bless the name of the Lord. I'm about to get happy. I tell myself on Easter with this big crowd, I'm going to behave myself, but sometimes things begin to happen that's out of my control. We also have heaven's witness that he rose from the dead. It was the angel that rolled back the very stone of the Lord. And he said this in Matthew 28, verse 2. Behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. He came and he rolled back the stone from the door and he sat on it. And the angel answered and said to the woman who came, Mary and Martha, do, uh, Martha, Mary of Magdalene, do you not, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said, come and see the place where the Lord laid. Not only do we have the angel that removed the stone, but we also have an angel inside of the tomb that was empty. It says entering in the tomb, Mary saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place in which he laid. There were over 500 accounts, uh, 500 people that witnessed his resurrection. His resurrection, according to Paul, seals our resurrection. Jesus' resurrection means the hope of ours. Jesus is the first fruits of them that slept, according to the word of the Lord. The first fruits mean that there was evidence of the resurrection that set forth a residence, a presidents for our future resurrection. What was the first evidence of hope of our resurrection? What gives us such assurance 
and hope and confidence that he was really raised from the dead. It was not only Jesus coming out of the tomb, having been sealed by all of the eyewitnesses, but it was also the fact that after his resurrection, the Bible says in Matthew 27, verse 46 through 53, if you could not believe the eyewitnesses, if you cannot believe the account of heaven's beings, the angels, if you cannot believe that he rose from the dead, listen to what this says. And about the ninth hour, Jesus had already been hanging it's about six hours on the cross. Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbathani, which is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus then had cried with that loud voice and yielded up the ghost and he died according to the word of the Lord. And then look with me at the next interesting verse. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent. That temple that only the high priest could go behind. It shut everybody else out that you and I could never get into the presence of God because of that veil. But now you who sometimes were far off, you can be made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on that cross, that veil was rent, and no longer are we alienated to come into the presence of God. Now we have access to the very throne of God by the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary. Can you give him praise? Oh, I could preach there a while. Amen. And then the earth did quake and then the rocks did rent. What took place at that time? This is when Jesus went down into paradise like he told the thief on the cross. You remember the one thief that said, remember me when you go into your kingdom? There's some powerful words there. First of all, remember me when you go into your kingdom. He recognized Jesus as king and he had a kingdom. Can I have an amen? And he said, remember me. He's asking, I believe in you. I'm trusting in you. And Jesus said, I tell you before the day's over, you're going to meet me in paradise. And what Jesus did, as he come off of that cross in the spirit realm, he went down into the bowels of the earth and he went to a place called the upper Sheol or it's called the grave in the Greek. He went to where Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of our forefathers and all of those that were, that, that were believers in the coming of the Messiah. The only difference between them and us is they look forward in faith that Jesus would come, we look forward, we look backwards in faith that he did come. And it is the same faith that saves them that saves us. But the only problem they had is that they would give a sacrifice every year of a bull or of a goat that would atone for the sins of man for one year. And then it would be pushed forward, but it would not be annihilated. It would not be destroyed. And all of a sudden they'd have to go through those sacrifices over and over over and over and over but all of a sudden when Jesus died and the earth did quake and he went down to the bowels of the earth him and that old thief showed up knocking on the gates of that paradise gates of Sheol the gates of the grave that's why I like when it says it says oh oh you everlasting gates open up and let the king of glory come in who is the king of glory the Lord mighty in battle 
Oh, you everlasting gates, open up. Let the king of glory come in. Who is the king of glory? It is the Lord strong in battle. What was those gates? They were those gates that separated hell, the lower CO from the upper CO, where the saints were in the upper CO, where the saints were occupied until Jesus came to free them. And all of a sudden, Jesus had already been to hell and got the keys of death, hell in the grave, and he come to upper CO. He said, I'm here, Abraham. I'm here, Isaac. I'm here, Jacob. He unlocked it. Him and the thief walked in, and they were free. Now look at the next verse of scripture. And the graves were open. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after the resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared before many. Man, when he went down there and freed them all of a sudden, boom, 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 graves begin to open up. Tombs begin to come apart. Stones are being rolled away. And all of a sudden, the family's sitting around eating a meal and they hear a knock on the door. And they open it up and there's Charles who's been dead for 10 years. Come on, somebody. And they seen him with their own eyes. If you can't believe the angels, if you can't believe the 500 count of eyewitness, surely you can believe these people that rose from the dead to bear witness that they are the first fruits of the resurrection. After Jesus' resurrection, these saints that slept came out, went into the city, but noticed that they appeared unto them that knew them. Their individuality wasn't gone. Their identity was not abolished. Their personhood, though glorified, yet were still able to be identified. Are you with me? They were changed, but their identity and personality remained. These people are known as the first fruits of Jesus' resurrection. They're the first ones to go. First fruits means that there's more to come. Amen. This means that there is going to be another resurrection, just like the one that Jesus had on the day that he died on the cross, and it's going to come after his resurrection. I mean, it's going to come, it happened after his resurrection. There's going to be another one that's going to come just like that one. This is why that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, and 23 that we would come in our order. What does that mean? Listen, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards, they that are Christ will also come at his coming. Paul is just saying the first fruits is the evidence of another resurrection that is coming. And that resurrection is going to happen at Christ's second coming. Why is, this is why that Paul wrote in Titus 2 and 13, looking for that blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection seals the believer's hope. That's why he called it the blessed hope. It, it, it was Paul that said in our text in verse 19, if in this life only we have hope, then we have all men most miserable. But Christ's resurrection and the evidence of the first fruits of those believers that come out of the grave speak of another glorious event that is about to take place. It is the appearing of Jesus Christ for the resurrection of his church. Can I have a, it's called the rapture. Amen. 
what them early people witnessed in Jerusalem is the same thing that this whole world's going to witness when Jesus comes back to earth again. That's why that Paul wrote in these words immediately after our text. He said, now this I say then, brethren, the flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this corruption must put on, in, in, uh, this mortal shall put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality then shall be brought the past to saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death where is thy sting O grave where is thy victory the sting of sin is the law the, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law but thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ folks we're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye we're going to be changed from mortality to immortality from corruption to incorruption Corruption. Can I have an amen? It was Paul that wrote those very things in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 about him coming back again with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ is going to rise first. We which are alive and remain are not going to prevent them from their sleep. But he's going to come back after us. He's going to bring us out of where we are to where he is at. These words is what brings comfort to the believer, the hope of eternal life, everlasting life, through the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is made possible. Possible. I got news for Darwin. I got news for the materialist. The grave is not the end. Death is not the end. When I was a young boy, we'd done demolition derbies and we gathered up some old hearse. We had two 1960 Cadillac hearse and we even had a casket in one of them. We painted one of them pink and we painted one of them black. We got them ready for the derby. And on the hood of the black one, we had an old skull with crossbones. And each side of the skull had a crack in it and had drops of blood going across the hood to the side. And when he hit the side, boom, red flames went down that car. Boy, it's a beautiful car. You think, man, this guy is nuts. And then when you get around to the back, on the back door we have big letters, the end. It was the end of a lot of cars when you seen that big hearse coming at you. I'll tell you, one, eight demolition derbies, just that one did. But it had the end on it. But I want to tell you, I've thought about that so many times as a young boy before I was a Christian. Hot riding and carrying on and thinking around them old hearse. And then every time I'd go around, I'd say the end. I got to thinking about it's not the end. It's the, it's the end of what we know in the flesh, but it's just the beginning. Can I have an amen? I will overcome death, hell, and the grave because Jesus has conquered it for me. I'm going to live because Jesus, my Messiah, lives. Can I have an amen? There is life after death. Death is not the final authority. Death has no sting for the believer. The grave has no victory over us. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercies follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to where I am. There ye may be also. 
There, these were Jesus' own words. It is his promise to us, and he cannot lie. When I come up out of the grave, I will be myself, though changed. I will appear as I am now, just like Jesus. When he come up out of the grave, he still had the scars. He still had the nail prints. He still had the human appearance. I want to tell the reincarnation believers, I will not come back as a cow, as a pig, or a horse, another human being. My identity will not change. My personhood will not be abolished. As many as received him, to him gave he power to become the sons of God. As Jesus was, so will I be. Colossians 3 and 4 says, when Christ who is my life shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. 1 John chapter 3 verse to beloved now right now we are the sons of God it does not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is can I have an amen when I get to heaven people will see me and say oh kid amen now I don't know God may give me a tummy tuck He does marvelous, he does big things. My glorified body will not take away from my self-identity. Listen to me. Peter's seen and he recognized the new Moses and Elijah on the Mount Transfiguration. Though they were glorified, yet they were recognized for who they were. I don't know about you, but Kent Miller's gonna live forever. My name may change, but my, and in heaven my name may change, my body may change, but who I am will remain forever. I will never change. Can I have an amen? I will exist, I will live forever, who, and I'll be who I am. I'm not gonna lose my identity. I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm, I will forever remain the person of Kent Miller, even as Jesus was, so am I. Romans 6 and 5 says, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. In Paul's day, there was Greek philosophers that was very prevalent during that time. A basic tenet of ancient Greek philosophy was what they called dualism. I don't know if you've ever studied it. This was generally attributed to Plato. And dualism considered everything spiritual to be good and everything physical to be bad. And those that held to the point view, to this point of view, the idea of a resurrection of the body was, was repugnant. It was no good. For them, the very reason for going into the afterlife was to escape all things physical. They considered their body a tomb, a corpse to which their soul was shackled. They looked at the physical body as a prison that kept them in bondage in this life. For those Greeks, their bodies were the last thing that they wanted to take along in the afterlife. They believed in the immortality of the soul, but strongly opposed the idea of the resurrection of the physical body. The problem with this is, it again takes away the uniqueness or the personhood of the individuality of that person. Do you know how the church looks at the body? It looks at it as the body of Christ. It's a part of a temple. 
And when the Athen philosophers heard Paul teaching on the resurrection of the dead, they began to mock him. Look at Acts 7.32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But it did not just take away the individuality of the person. Here's the problem. It also created a non-victorious life now here on the earth where we live. Jesus didn't just die to give me eternal life, but Jesus also has died to give me abundant life right here, right now. Come on, somebody. I'm about to, I'm about to preach. John 10 and 10 says, the thief cometh not but to kill, to steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. This is why it's so important to believe in the resurrection. Jesus didn't just die to pay sin's penalty, but he also rose from the dead to give us the victory of a new life here and now. It is true while he's on the cross, he did die for our sin debt. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and through his stripes we healed him. We praise God that he took our penalty. But look what else it says. But surely he has borne our griefs and he's also carried our sorrows. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And because I live, ye shall live also. I want you to know if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. And behold, God has made all things new. Know the truth and the truth shall set you free. He that has a son has life. He that has not the son has not life. I'm here to tell you, I don't have to wait to get to heaven to rejoice. I can rejoice now because I have abundant life in Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me, please? I'm free. I'm saved. I'm delivered. I'm forgiven. I'm a believer. I'm a child of God. I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir of Jesus Christ. Because of what Christ has done. Oh, I got a lot more to preach, but I feel like I need to quit. Folks, Jesus is the reason and the solution of why we exist. He's the answer to all of our problems. You know what the world needs right now? They need a good dose of Jesus. Randy's got a niece that he's prayed for for years and years and years. She'd been in our church and got saved and moved away and got away from the Lord. Went through some tragic circumstances in her life. Every time I think of her, I pray for her. The other day, he got a letter from her. It says, Dear Uncle Randy, I had a dream and the Lord appeared in a dream and I've got saved. I said, Uncle Randy, he's coming back real, real soon. He's, here she is one minute out in sin, the next minute being saved and then starting to proclaim, Jesus is coming back soon. Right now, the fastest growing church in the world, you know where it's at? It's in Iran. If they get caught becoming a Christian, they're instantly killed, thrown in prison, persecuted. And yet the underground is exploding. Jesus 
is appearing before them in dreams and in visions. And the people that have never heard, been able to hear the gospel, all of a sudden Jesus shows up and gives them visions and dreams and they give their heart and life to Jesus. And that they have such an experience and such an encounter that that they're willing to be martyrs for him if necessary. But the underground church in Iran is exploding. Right now, China is exploding in the underground church. India is exploding of the underground. Everybody talks about the end time revival. It's here. Jesus, Messiah, Lord, he reigns forever. Thank you for coming to the Easter service with every eye closed and every head bowed. I just want to give an opportunity that if you're not a believer here today, we want to give you the opportunity to be saved. We want you to know that your life is important, that you're wonderfully and marvelously and uniquely made, and that you'll forever live. If you'll ever be alive, it'll either be in hell where there's eternal damnation or it'll be in heaven with Jesus because you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And right now, if you need to be saved or you need to be born again, you can walk down to this altar and we'll meet you here and we'll pray with you. And we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that you are introduced to Jesus Christ before you leave. If that's who you are, you're more than welcome to come now. We'll be here as long as you need us to be here with you. We love you. We appreciate you. Is there anyone that needs to pray this morning? Hallelujah. But before we go as believers, can you lift your hands one more time? And can you give God glory for the death of his son? And can you worship and praise him for eternal life in him and the resurrection of Jesus? Hallelujah. Lord, we give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory in Jesus' name. God bless you. Turn around and shake someone's hand and tell them you're glad to have them this morning.